A very warm welcome to you. This is Happy Times and Places, in which I, Toby Haydock, watch an episode of Doctor Who, commentating along, dropping in facts and observations, and trying to guess what my special guest's favourite things about this particular instalment are. Hello, Toby. It's me, David J. Howe here. Now, you may know me as a writer, as a researcher, as a publisher of all things connected with Doctor Who, um, but today I'm here to talk to you about one of my favourite stories, and it's The Mind Robber. Well, welcome everybody. It's time to venture once again into the land of fiction, as the second Doctor, Patrick Troughton, and his companions, Jamie and Zoe, wrangle with characters who are made up and don't exist in the real world, which of course they in real life don't do either. But isn't that a wonderful, isn't that a wonderful notion? Um, I'm enthused because I've just been talking to Stephen Schapansky from Radio Free Scarrow about Quatermass, about which I rabbit on quite a lot, as has been noted. Uh, and it's enthused me to get back to talking about something I like rabbiting on about even more, which is Doctor Who. Now that Radio Free Scarrow podcast, if you are a patron, will be out in the future. It will be out on Sunday. If you are a non-patron, it's long in the past, probably about six months ago. And that's pretty much the only difference between uh, patronage and not is, uh, is the weight between episodes. But actually, there are advantages to being a non-patron in this regard, because um, patrons have had to wait quite a long time between episodes three and four of The Mind Robber because I've been swanning about doing things and um, non-patrons because your stuff is released to a you know a, a sensible schedule where things are all grouped together because they're all well in the can whereas patrons get these sort of as they're done really I mean it's almost live this my goodness I mean it's actually due out as I'm recording this it should be going up on the Patreon feed now it's obviously not going to because it doesn't exist yet uh, i deny its reality <laughs> it's currently it's currently a cardboard cutout of itself um so yes so uh, uh, uh non-patrons you will hear this episode episode four of the mind robber you know just a short number of days after you've heard episode three as the schedule goes I, on the other hand, haven't watched the Mind Robber for, for a while. It's been a it's been a good couple of weeks, I should think. So I hope I don't repeat myself uh, as we uh, go once more into the land of fiction in the company of David J. Howe, one of uh, the major figures in Doctor Who research from yesteryear. He's an expert on all sorts of different aspects of the history of Doctor Who and particularly toys as well, which has never been a an area of my particular uh, interest are much more about what went on on screen and behind the scenes and in the development of the, the stories themselves um, but uh, you know David was there in the early years uh, showing what fans could do to chronicle and support and understand their program and uh, it's been a great pleasure to get to know him over the years I only really see him at conventions or occasionally if I'm doing a thing with Fraser Hines with whom he is great friends and uh, and has been a neighbour indeed, uh, and and they're they're thick as thieves. So uh, so where there is a Fraser, there is often a David, and uh, what a joy it is to see both men, because uh, I enjoy the company of both. So I'm I'm very grateful that David has gone to the effort to 
put nice videos together for this, uh, for his contribution, and to, um, you know, if he lends his name to any Doctor Who project, it adds to its luster, if indeed this has any luster at all. And if it has no luster, well, it has, a, it has some now, thanks to David. So let's, um, let's see how lustrous we can get as we uh, see what is going on in the land of make-believe. It really is, isn't it? Oh, if only I could break copyright music and I could have that song by those people. <laughs> you know the one I mean. The land of, uh, in the sun, number one. Do -do 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 -do. Oh, right. Uh, that my, my telly screen <laughs> has just... Uh, it was on a screensaver on BritBox and it's just, just as I started singing, it faded to black as if to say, yeah, no, come on, you've been too long. Now I can't get it back. All right, here it is. So uh, I, won't, I won't be singing again. Uh, <laughs> let's go to the land of make-believe, but without a mu musical accompaniment as we watch part four, episode four of The Mind Rubber. And I am going to press play in three, two, one. Uh, this is going to be a, a short episode again, isn't it? Uh, because uh, because that's the case with the mind rubber. Everything comes in a little bit short. So uh, if this is an episode that is, has a, sh a short running time, I, c I can't guarantee that I might bang on way too much at the end. And it's 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 always a dilemma that because you think oh well people get you know more value if if the podcast is longer not if it's longer because it's full of rubbish uh, so I have if I, if I, if I do augment this with extra parlay uh, I hope it is of a reasonable and entertaining quality it's episode four it's interesting it says part four on Britbox when we did running through corridors we d we deliberately called each episode either part one episode one or as in the case of the ice warriors one two three and four and then last the publisher didn't realize that and just universalized them all and changed them and uh ah! um, but this is episode and it's four as in the number four uh not f-o-u-r and i'm sure there's something to be written on uh, on the differences between when it's episode when it's part when it's a numeral when it's written uh in fact that's just given me idea for a very potentially <laughs> very anal and tedious and boring but you never know it could throw up some interesting observations or even the odd joke or two and sometimes that's all you can ask for um uh, it's it's so yes he so he's picked up the sword which has come from nowhere because uh there's there's they've they've given it this sort of extra dimension of going well if he does the obvious thing which is to slay the monster he becomes part of the fiction and that is what the trap is and that's quite a nice and abstract idea and it's it's good and that's actually an excellent shot of the of the medusa in the in the mirror um and this is quite ruthless isn't it it's quite educational um i i i'd done the sort of the myths and legends at school so this was all quite familiar so actually i the the medusa wasn't quite how i i'd imagined her and I think I'd got a Myths and Legends book where she had the sort of snakes on her hair, but she had a, a more human face than that and was more like a sort of screaming banshee type. But, um, of course, it's a wonderful image. Those Myths and Legends have, you know, you know, uh, you know, the Cyclops, the one-eyed beast. And I remember seeing a wonderful picture of a Cyclops in a in a monster's book I had. In fact, it's the monster's book that uh, I've just talked to Stephen Schapansky about, a Radio Free Scarrow, that had, doc it had pictures from Doctor Who 
It's called the A to Z of Monsters. Uh, it's nothing to do with the mind robber, so I won't go into much detail. But it did have a picture of the Cyclops, uh, which is another sort of myths and legends uh, creature. Uh, and there's there's all sorts of wonderful paintings and and etchings of those sorts of creatures. So I'm surprised it actually that well I suppose the the minotaur the minotaur has been has been used in uh, a sci-fi version, the Horns of Naimon, of course. But uh, you know the, the myths and legends of various monstrous creatures that uh, that are great could be great inspiration for Doctor Who. And uh, I'm surprised the Medusa has really only you know manifested itself once really. Because the Minotaur, of course, is also in a version of in the in the God Complex. Um, now this is, uh, I, I, that's lovely. The sort of the sliding door, uh, and, and and the sort of the, the little hatch escapes and oh, and I love that. I love that um, Gulliver sort of is brave and decides that he's gonna. He's he's going to protect. His instinct is to be protective of uh, of Jamie, which shows that Gulliver is you know he's he's one of the sort of goody sidekicks in this, even though he's slightly detached and speaks in the third person occasionally and talks like the pages of a book. And also we've got that thing of that he can't see he can't see the the white robots that Bernard Horsfall does very well. But Bernard Horsfall has a very benign quality about him, doesn't he? It's. Uh, it's a lovely, sweet performance, and the first of his uh, his many forays into Doctor Who, and what a great servant he was to the show, and indeed to David Maloney, who uh, who who casts him every time. You know, every time Bernard Horsfall is in Doctor Who, he is uh, he is cast by David Maloney, and I believe he was he'd got his tickets for Gallifrey, hadn't he? I think he'd even changed his money for Gallifrey when he had a. Uh, he was a crofter working in the Isle of Skye. That's what he did to retire. His wife, actually, the actress Jean Jordan Rob Rogers, has only recently passed away. But uh, he was—he was all set for Gallifrey when he passed away. Bernard Horsfall, uh, uh, a lovely actor. I never had the pleasure. Ah, here is the carcass. I was talking to somebody recently about Christopher Robbie, because uh, uh, who this is, also known as the Cyber Leader in. Uh, in uh, Revenge of the Cybermen. So he has a silly German accent in this, and uh, in Revenge of the Cybermen, and it was, oh, it was darling Matt Evenden who said, uh, so no, it wasn't. It might have actually been Pete McTie, actually, uh, who who was saying, so is is the Revenge Cyberman, is he an American actor? I said, no, 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 he's, put, he's putting on an accent because that's what he thinks sci-fi aliens should be, is um, American. Uh, he, he is actually very... He talks like this, Christopher. He is very. He was a continuity announcer on uh, Southern Television, and I've seen him do Shakespeare. He was. Uh, he was the curant, the King Lear of Robert Stevens at the Royal Shakespeare Company when Stevens uh, played King Lear. And in fact, Stevens was ill for uh, press week, and so uh, his understudy, Christopher Robbie, who was playing the one scene curant, which isn't much of a part. Um, was King Lear and my girlfriend at the time saw him and said that he had tears in his eyes at the uh, curtain call because he did a fantastic job this is a very bad fight <laughs> yeah oh that was very very bad uh, arranged by B.H. Barry who also arranges the fights in uh, in Fort Doomsday and so I would argue uh, does, does not Doctor Who is not the greatest showcase for the fight arranging skills of B.H. Barry who is a who is a, a, a very experienced and um, regarded fight director, but uh, 
I would perhaps not have either of his doctors on my uh, showreel. Uh, and poor old um, Wendy Padbury has to has to sort of do that thing where she's explaining how she's beating him because she's she's remembering these moves. So she's sort of saying what the moves are, which she's going to explain to Doctor Who now. Uh, oh. Uh, uh, maybe she's not um but uh but she um she she has to do that whilst doing the sort of flicking him and he has to then time his tumbles to the flicking that she does and he doesn't um but yes so christopher robbie um had his moment playing king lear for the royal shakespeare company and has also played the carcass and the terrible cyber leader in revenge of the cybermen it's an interesting life, the life of an actor. But Christopher himself, who is now a sort of, uh, sort of bewhiskered, sort of Captain Burnside, Uncle Albert type in aspect, um, is a lovely, lovely man, a very jolly fellow, a very actory actor, and uh, who, whose company I very much like. But uh, his, his both of his Doctor Who performances are, a quite eccentric. Uh, I would, I would say. Um, but that's uh that's but the, you know it's 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 introduced another sort of level into the story and is is it's it's sort of meant to be quite comedic anyway the carcass this you know with his with his fake rubbery muscle chest and all of that and uh, you know introduces a, a a fictional character that the doctor doesn't know because the doctor's sort of understanding of fiction is is what actually any, any sort of schoolboy or girl of 19 6768 what what their understanding of literature would be in the, in the of course they're not going to know anything from the future because future great literature hasn't been invented yet you know there's no characters from the Zadie Smith novel in this I mean I don't think there would be the equivalent anyway but there's a, there's nobody from Harry Potter uh in this which is of course if uh, if maybe it was made in you know 2000 and uh, 68 67 68 it would be so or well or maybe not but you, you you get what i mean there's 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 uh it's it's the it's the thing about doctor who traveling in in the future in the past of course is that the future of the program you know the future when the program is being made can of course make a fool of the program because it can only predict the future but if it if it continues to exist 20 years in the future there will be future developments that of course it, it won't have been able to predict and in this case there would be future works of literature that of course can't be plundered by the program because they haven't happened yet uh the master of course this has caused lots of confusion the fact that the baddie is called the master but it's not actually the master it's not that long away from the master appearing in doctor who and becoming the master that we know and love to hate um I love it when Troughton is sort of gentle and sort of sweetly. Uh, it's, I mean, it's sort of slightly patronizing. He, he talks in a sort of childish manner, but it's so benign and so disarming and so sweet. He's like a sort of gentle uncle. Uh, yeah, I love that. Good for you, Doctor Who. I love Patrick Troughton. He's such an interesting actor. And I love his sort of scruffy uncle aspect that he has. Uh, ticker tape you know ticker tape we wouldn't have that now either so 
it's I mean it's unique really this isn't it in the history of Doctor Who this story and here we are in 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 a sort of in a set that's a mixture of uh you know sort of sci-fi property with the with the ticker tape machine but it's also got that uh, oh zoe's going to be silly now zoe that was silly but it's also got you know the sliding door that jamie hides away from and it and you you get the feeling that the that anything can happen in this world you know you go out of one set and you end up in a completely different environment and it's a place of falling through walls and into tunnels and from futuristic sort of high-tech environments into older ones or fairy tale ones and i i like what it does with place i think that's really even though it does feel quite low budget that kind of fits in with the world that we've been created because it's a world made up of sort of fiction and it, it you know it could also it could almost stand a sort of pross arch or a or a painted backdrop because that would add to its fairy tale like qualities and the fact that the world has been made out of sort of you know cheap fictional backdrops it kind of all works and the fact that you have this you know we expect a set to have you know through a door you could see what is behind the door but here it it, it actually just has a black drape and that adds to the sort of mystery that they're walking from one environment and sort of almost really weirdly materialize into another that the normal rules don't apply in this world because it's because it's one of um you know it's one of it's counterfeit it's uh it's it's a land of fiction even in its sort of structure so they've they've gone off one place and the way that the camera starts close up on them and sort of pulls away as if to say you've now sort of almost been transported by magic you know by magic into a different they went through the door but actually then they then the new environment sort of materialized around them i think that's very cleverly done with the way that maloney shoots it especially shooting through the the door so this is actually the first time we've seen the master and uh, and he a bit like the great intelligence you know he's been speaking in a sort of scary voice but then when he's having discourse with them uh, he's now he's now his old self he's now the sort of genial schoolmasterish emery jonesian uh, uh you know the, the the guy that he is he's not the the spokesperson for the machine here um and it is a bit like the great intelligence where you know the actor speaks in a different voice depending on whether he is under the thrall of the thing that that is controlling him uh emrys james uh, uh, jones uh, see that mistake is made that mistake is even made on the credits i think of the out of the unknown reconstruction of uh the episode uh called little black bag which only exists uh, only half of exists and the closing credits and the last shot don't exist so they've they've sort of pieced them together and i think when they remade the credits, they made the mistake of calling him Emrys James, who is the actor who plays Orcon in uh, State of Decay, and not Emrys Jones, who is this actor, uh, who was married to Anne Riddler, I mentioned before, who was in The Wheel in Space. So he has been on the set of Doctor Who not that long ago. And actually, he's, he's one of those actors that, uh, looking at him here, he's not got an awful lot of time left. He dies... Uh, I think in 1972, um, I think somewhere early, uh, uh, out when touring a play, I think he's playing Winston Churchill in Johannesburg, I think, uh, and collapses and has a heart attack. And um, in fact, one of the newspaper reports I read said, um, uh, uh, you know, that they're looking to contact his family. And you think, what? So it's been running the newspaper before his wife, his wife knows 
uh, because that's the way that information was disseminated in those days. Now, I, I always get distracted by Emrys Jones in this episode because he's got a bit of spittle in the corner of his mouth, which now remains with him for the rest of the show uh, this week. I love his little uh, fingerless mittens. Well, they're not mittens, are they? Mitt mittens are ones where um, uh, all, of, all the fingers are knitted together his fingerless gloves i like them it, it, it gives him a sort of benign eccentricity he's like a jamie i love the way that uh, fraser hines sort of fronts it and goes oh we're listening to you as they as they sort of uh shift away it's a lovely little piece of uh of acting that uh i love jamie and zoe i think they're great and they're going to go and be pesky um which is great but, but i love the way that fraser does that sort of oh yeah i'm listening to you i'm just gonna shuffle off to this side the master brain is not unlike the conscience of marinus in aspect is it uh i love this uh again the fact that these are sort of flats and they're flats of sort of photographs of bookcases again doesn't really matter it kind of adds to it they are scenery uh th th and that kind of works as going they are a fictional representative representation of what they are you know supposed to be it, it's i i think you could be wonderfully meta with this and uh, and it really works i do like the the big sort of spinning brain computery thing there um i remember doctor who a celebration um uh, does an unusual thing in its uh, in its write-up of this story going you know one thing is left unresolved who built the computer and you know when you when you, when you didn't have the stories to watch it was like oh is that is that is that mentioned in the story? No, it was just the writer. It was just Jeremy Bentham. It was one of it was his his concern about the the, the story. But they, he doesn't do that in his write ups for other stories. Going there were holes in in the plot like this one, but that was obviously one that had bothered him to the extent that he he put it in the write up. And the write up in Doctor Who Celebration was you know just a brief summary of a plot and then a couple of little behind the scenes facts. But uh, it was interesting that that was the thing that that was particularly troubling him. And so. Um, I remember, you know, watching it going, oh, are they going to raise the thing of who built the computer? Oh, no, it's just it's just an element that was left hanging for, for, for Jeremy Bentham. Um, oh, and of course, Out of the Unknown mentioned that Emrys Jones is in uh, an episode of also had uh, the white robot. So so this is one that uh, is quite closely related to that science fiction anthology series which if you've never seen is is definitely worth checking out for doctor who actors and doctor who directors and and looking at sci-fi that uh, is perhaps sort of slightly more adult in intent uh, but but actually sometimes seems a bit obscure and impenetrable and and doctor who is largely i think much more more fun it's because doctor who has to be accessible family tea time viewing uh which which means that you know it's always got sort of accessibility in its uh, in, in its remit and uh, and as I say as I feel always has a sort of a, a zest to it and, and 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 with this you know is really playing with form and doing something very ambitious with a show that you know the previous year has been quite formulaic actually still this production block isn't it because uh, this is the end of this production block Patrick Troughton is knackered at this point which is why these episodes are short and they uh they, uh, yeah, they're, they're, they're still in the same production block as, as season five. I think this is an absolutely glorious image. Jamie and Zoe trapped in the pages of a book. It's surreal. It's strange. It's haunting. Uh, it's uh, it's 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 a really brilliant abstract 
cliffhanger that is nonetheless a terrifying image you know never mind the doctor's head being held underwater or a monster bursting through a door the two companions trapped in the pages of a book um what what a, what a wonderful thing what a great thing to do when you go well I'll, you know let's let's do this story in, in, in the land of fiction uh you know what 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 can what how, how can the threats manifest themselves so we don't know really and, and there's no way they can do what they've done with the previous episode endings which is uh, which is have them go oh you know you're just a fictional character i can overcome you in that way uh, which is what they've done uh, to previous ones and it was in danger of being a little bit repetitive that that sees you know jamie and i remember reading about that in uh, the doctor Who magazine episode guide it said you know jamie and zoe are, 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 are shut into the pages of the book and thinking oh god that sounds really amazing and, and imagining what it must have been like and i have to say that's one of the rare occasions where what i imagined was actually not unlike how it is realized because it's a giant book and they're shut into the pages of it it's a brilliant image it's a brilliant idea it's brilliantly realized uh, and i think might very well be my favorite thing of the episode let's think of some other things i you know i like i like the way that um gulliver uh, decides to protect jamie i i think that's sweet and i think uh that, that adds a nice dimension to his character um i like i like the way that they're sort of magically transported that the, the sets you know have that slightly deliberately or perhaps i'm being kind but that slightly deliberately two-dimensional hokey feel and you know the the the, the, the simplicity of the black backdrops well i'll tell you what it does if, if it is done on the cheap uh because they have no choice it's a story and a conceit and an idea and a conception that makes a virtue of the cheapness with which this stuff will be done and it and it really really works uh and and i think evan hercules the designer um you know does a, does a wonderful job in making cheap sets become become a become an advantage or, or if not to become an advantage to, to to augment the story in 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 the correct way and and the way that david maloney shoots it i thought it was so clever how he you know shut the door behind them and then then pulled out from a close-up of their faces so i like that idea that place is as strange and is dis is as displaced as as reality that the rules of this land are not quite the same as the one that we are we that the reality is in which is the same as when you're reading a book you know you do transport from place to place and and, and 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 you know you do go out of one door and then enter through a completely different one that's that's how it works so i i really like that aspect of it which is slightly intangible and slightly strange i i like the fact that we see emrys james and, and again having had it, uh, uh, jones ah i'm doing it i if this was an article and somebody had done that i would be furious with them and i've done it about a gazillion times it's he's he's james the mark jones the master jones the master um and uh and and the fact that he's been this 
sort of cowled figure that we've only seen from the back talking in this threatening computer way and then when we see him he's like oh hello i'm a very benign sort of fellow uh, with a sort of lisp and the fact that i've got this lisp means that a bit a little bit of spittle is going to uh, form in a, in the corner of my mouth and i'm not going to notice and nobody's the stage manager's not going to come up to me between scenes with a hanky uh i could thought trout would have used his pockets for him dabbed him when they cut away to jamie and zoe or whatever but uh, that's one of the beautiful things of as live television and you know why wouldn't uh, a man under the thrall of a supercomputer who's controlling a land of fiction when he's uh, chatting away not realize that he's got spittle in his mouth you know his flies might be undone as well it's just we don't get a close-up of those um <laughs> i look forward to the day when we have a doctor who villain whose flies are undone. no i'm not sure i do in fact i think we can defer that uh, and not have uh, a flying low Doctor villain until I am uh, I am no longer around to be disturbed by such things but that would mean they're still making Doctor Who after I'm dead I'm not sure I'm comfortable with that uh, but then that means I'd witness the end of Doctor Who oh what a dilemma what would you rather listener would you rather Doctor Who finished forever so that you were not denied the possibility of seeing an episode of Doctor Who that was brilliant that you didn't get to see because you died or would you want to uh, see every single episode of Doctor Who but that means therefore witness the end and the cessation of Doctor Who in production that's a dilemma isn't it um, I, I think I'm quite selfish and go no I want to see all of Doctor Who please because <laughs> uh, you know imagine you know attack of the wing wangs might be the best episode ever but if it's if it's shown the year after i'm dead it may as well not exist screw you lot anyway should we not talk about my death i brought it up sorry um I'm, i hope i'm here for a long time yet well i suppose you know it's possible that this will be listen let's not why am i contemplating my mortality i suppose I, I suppose that's better than contemplating whether i'm actually real or a work of fiction are we all workers of fiction do we just exist in the mind of somebody else no i think i think we're real um but i do love this whole idea of a land where fiction exists it's so batshit it's so off the wall so crazy it sort of shouldn't work and it's almost quite twee in a way in in in, in some aspects of it but it works because it's strange and it's weird and it commits itself to it and i also think it's rather charming so uh you know there's lots of ways that a story of this kind could not work and i actually think it it, it really does but i think i have to choose as my favorite thing before i jump over to david i have to choose that cliffhanger i think it's i i sometimes think it's a bit bored boring and obvious to choose a cliffhanger because cliffhangers are obviously often designed to be the most memorable part of the episode because they're the bit that make you want to come back next week and so they have the advantage of not even having to you know progress plot or character because they're a moment that by its very nature has to be shocking and has to be memorable and can be visual but 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 can sort of almost exist in a, 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 a vacuum and uh, yeah, i know jamie and zoe uh, you know have been fictionalized a bit for next week but uh, but um it, 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 it you could see it as just a sort of moment of jeopardy that uh, it's come out of nowhere you know they they go and escape and it's like well yeah it's because we need to we need to get to a cliffhanger and we'll have this bit and we'll resolve it fairly quickly next time but it's such a good visual it's such a bold idea 
it's it's really really well done i actually think david maloney fades to back a little bit too slowly there's no sense of sort of crashing urgency about his cliffhangers in the in the Troughton era uh it's like it is like actually closing the chapter of a book it, rather than sort of tearing you out you know tearing you from the end of a paragraph you know it, it's sort of like it has stopped and it has faded and here is the music uh which I which which I I do think robs some of the cliffhangers of their sense of urgency, but in this case again it it kind of works with the sort of fictional you know we're closing the pages on this chapter but that's me being generous because I do think I I I I do yearn for, for them to get a bit of a get get a bit of a shift on when you're racing to the climax but but I suppose of of all of his three stories in this season this the crotons and uh the war games the mind robber is the one where it kind of gets away with it the most but i i i do think the cliffhangers work better when they're not a sort of fade to black and a start but rather when the when the credits and the music sort of crash into the end of the program itself uh that i think that i think you know makes for a more arresting cliffhanger and yet i love this cliffhanger uh for different reasons so you could not not necessarily approve of uh, uh, the way that something is done and prefer it to be generally done another way and yet still go but within its own terms this is this is a this is a fine example and uh, i just do love that image you could only really get away with that image in a story like this it, it, it's 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 a simple trick obviously you don't see one side of the interior of the book and that's that's where the actors can fit in there's obviously a hole there in, in the pages so they're not really being squashed but it looks like they're being squashed they act it very well it's filmed from the correct angle it's a nice prop it's a nice set it's a wonderful idea it's a brilliant moment it's a brilliant visual my choice and i do think it's sometimes cheating choosing the cliffhanger and i'm sorry about that but um it, it has to be my favorite thing my choice of the cliffhanger to episode four of the mind robber not uh, sorry my choice of my favorite thing in episode four of the mind robber is the cliffhanger let's see what david j howe chooses oh he's wearing a an army helmet or is it a with with goggles he's reading mind game by david j howe so i'm going to allow him to plug that by describing it this is the alt text uh and he's by a bookcase with uh looks like a couple of awards uh a few awards uh so well done david for those awards and a medal and lots of books and the book of mind game by david j howe in, in reading it does that mean it becomes part of the fiction uh let's see what he chooses as his thing for episode four ah mm. ah Episode four of The Mind Robber, and the best thing about this episode is that Zoe has this incredible fight with a carcass. Now, the carcass is this superhero from the year 2000, and he's like about six foot tall, more than that, played by Christopher Robbie, great guy, muscles everywhere. And little Zoe, um, who's like four foot nothing if she's a day, um, she manages to throw him all over the set and she beats him up. It's absolutely brilliant. Genius, genius piece of direction. Really nicely done. Um, absolutely love it. Um, it's a really nice little sequence in that episode. So that's my favourite bit of episode four. Now that's interesting 
because I have learned a lesson there because as soon as he said that it made me think very fondly of that fight because of course Zoe is very is, is diminutive uh, the carcass is very tall I'd got my eyes so much on and I remember being really almost embarrassed by it uh, when I watched this when when I was much younger I wasn't embarrassed by it this time but I did acknowledge it's not the best fight in the world it's not particularly well staged uh, and that sort of made me not enjoy that bit not really enjoy the carcass even uh, even though he's supposed to be quite silly and absurd he's got a ridiculous German accent um, but actually seeing it now through David's eyes or having it explained by David of course it's fun it's a wheeze lighten up Toby and actually the fact that it's not very well done doesn't really matter and kind of adds to its charm now I sometimes reject that I don't go I'm, I'm not one of those oh Doctor Who's so naff it's it's good you know I, I think Doctor Who's generally good because it's good but actually within the dynamic of what they're trying to achieve within the scene that's you know the fact that it's a bit naff is 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 not taking anything away from the program makers there because it it sort of tonally fits in with what they're trying to achieve which is that the carcass is a bit stupid and there's that this there's this big difference between the height and his and isn't it her height and his and isn't it witty that the the small character defeats the big tall strapping character and 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 does so uh you know in a way that's rather silly and, and rather fun and, and that takes the scene from being as it had been in younger me's eyes are being a bit clunky and a bit embarrassing something to be slightly ashamed of into being rather a fun wheeze that's rather charmingly done and makes a virtues of even the bits that it doesn't quite get right uh, but it is a great idea of having zoe and i like the fact that zoe continually sort of undermines what we expect her to do you know she's continually you know as the companion figure actually smarter than the doctor uh you know she 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 there you know physically she should be uh, you know overcome you know looking at the two of them by the carcass but actually has the smarts to outwit him because she she knows these clever clever moves uh, i mean it does make up for the fact that she rather stupidly walks through the alarm later uh which is not her finest hour but i i do i do like zoe and i do like it when they when they play with what the conception of what the the companion should be uh, and she manages to be sort of game and fun and slightly annoying at the same time and you actually quite enjoy the fact that she's quite annoying because that's sort of deliberate it's not that she's being annoying without meaning to be they absolutely know that she's quite irritating and that's quite fun uh, unlike some characters who are irritating and, and they don't mean them to be um, you know I think sometimes when they try and make Adric uh, you know witty or charming uh, or you know and uh, mixing things up a bit he's, he's actually just a bit annoying and they, they've not quite understood you know what, what the signal they're sending out is not is is not the one that is being received shall we say whereas with Zoe it's all in it's all entirely deliberate so that's a good choice David and one that I wouldn't have made in a million years but as soon as you started making it, it made absolute sense to me and it's made me reframe my appreciation of uh a, a particular sequence that as I say in the past has caused me great embarrassment and uh, now I see it for what it was intended to, for, to be and not for what my teenage self wanted it to be which was everything to be terribly serious all the time and uh, it's so it is quite nice getting older and going actually some things are, it's, it's fine if they're not serious it's absolutely fine not to be serious lighten up younger Toby serious does not always mean good uh, so I don't get the point for that but I mean, it's so long ago. I don't even remember 
how I'm doing with the points. I'm assuming I'm doing really, really badly. But you know, I'm not. I'm not going to join in with what the points are because otherwise, uh, that might make me actually become a, a podcast instead of a real person. Isn't that how it works? Um, so anyway, that was that was fun to do. I enjoyed revisiting the story that's going at a lick of a pace and is disorienting and charming and winning and inventive and strange and not like any other Doctor Who story uh, and yet it's an experiment that is that is pulled off I think there's no compromise really with sometimes Doctor Who pushes the boat out and you go well it's only a sort of qualified success I think I think the mind robber succeeds yeah, on, 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 on its own terms very very strongly and I'm enjoying watching it and I hope you're enjoying uh, listening to it but we're going to close the pages of this particular book so try not to get trapped on your way out and uh, I will speak to you next time. Ta-ta. Well thank you ever so much for listening to Happy Times and Places which is presented by me Toby Haydock and my special guest David J. Howe. He's on Twitter or is it X? Who knows what it'll be when you're listening to this at David J. Howe 1 and his website is howeswho.co.uk I'm very grateful to David he's a lovely fella and I'm also grateful to the patrons who make these podcasts possible and they include Ben Cook Martin Cook, Matt Corner, Leslie Coots, Ben Cowdell, Philip Craggs Oliver Crocker, Sarah Crotzer, David Crew, Steve Cuniff, Dave Cullen, Simon Curtis, Paul Philip Dalgren, Matt Dale, Rob Dawson, Chris Davis, Hugh Davis, Robert Davis, Shanty Day, Ian Dean, Tim Dickinson, Sean Ditchfield, Drew, Dr. Delta, Jeff Edwards, Andrew Egan, Fleet Boy, Mark Findlay Smith, Chris Bone, Nev Fountain, and David Gillespie Pratt. The music is by Dave Gates, the artwork by Dylan Patterson. So, would you like your name read out on the credits? That is just one of the many joys of being a patron of Toby Haydock's Time Travels, that this Happy Times and Places is part of. Well, I suppose not just Toby Haydock's Time Travels, it's uh, other stuff that I do goes on there as well. Uh, in fact, recently I've been doing lots of exclusive patron podcast uh, sort of stuff, uh, emergency questions and monthly AMAs. It's partially because I haven't had access to my proper recording equipment and uh, I've been having to hastily improvise. So, you know, it might not all be to your taste, but there's definitely still three releases per week. It's not the best advert, is it? Might not be what you want. It's not all ju- it's not all this. It's not all podcasts. It's uh there's there's other stuff as well, but it's all Doctor Who related except for occasionally when I do a bit of deep diving into Quatermass, but you know, I, it is that is something that uh I have got a lot of information about, so uh I I share it, but uh I I try to keep it interesting and as I say you get three releases per week, a Monday, a Wednesday, and a Friday, usually a podcast, but sometimes something slightly different. And that doesn't include the Tuesdays, which are pictures of my dog, which I throw in for absolutely free. Um, but but uh, a lot of people like the best of all things. Uh, so, yeah, it, there's a lot going on and you can interact and there's chat. And, uh, uh, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a sort of place to hang out as, as and, 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 you know, I think some of the stuff I, I, I put out makes people say, ah, yeah, but I think this. And then somebody else will come and go, oh, I think that. Or I might, you know, say, oh, I don't know about that. And somebody will go, ah, well, I do. I know that because of that. And so it's sort of like, it's like a Doctor Who forum, in, except without, without all the horrid bits. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I know who everyone is. 
No, you can't hide behind a pseudonym. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's patreon.com forward slash Toby Haydock, where, as I say, you get three releases at least per week. You're six months ahead with Happy Times and Places and a month or a couple of months ahead with Indefinable Magic and Too Much Information that at the time of recording I've fallen a little bit behind with. Sorry, fans of that particular podcast, but I would rather spend the time getting it right and the latest ones have been delayed because I thought I was going to actually be able to interview uh, one or two people from the production I'm covering and, and, and it dragged on and dragged on and now I'm actually going, well, I didn't do that with some of the other ones and they were absolutely fine so it's it's mad to leave them hanging because it's not actually an interview podcast so anyway i i am aware that too much information has uh had uh, too much hanging about uh in its uh, gestation and realization and i've taken steps to speed up the release schedule of those because i know that those of you who like them particularly like them and perhaps uh you know, think there's plenty of Doctor Who commentaries out there. I like the one that collates all that info. They do take longer to do, and I do want to do them properly, but uh, I have taken my eye off the ball a bit, but that's because of personal stuff, and I have to earn a living and all those other bits and bobs. But if you have been wondering where they are, uh, I'm stepping up the gas, so there's not too much uh, revving at the moment. It's uh, it's just the right amount to get me back on track, and uh, I'm... Uh, I'm looking at ways of uh, increasing the release rate. But whatever happens, the patrons will get those first and quicker. And all they do for that is pay £3 per month. It actually works out at about £2.70 per month if you pay for a year in advance because you get a 10% discount on a yearly subscription. And that's uh, no matter what tier you're on. £3 is the lowest tier. It goes right up to a million pounds. I, I mean, it doesn't, but I mean, don't let that stop you. If you want to give me a million pounds, you can. Uh, and that's at patreon.com forward slash Toby Haydock. Monthly AMAs, advanced releases, bonus releases, pictures of my dog, all sorts of other stuff. Uh, but if you can't or don't want to do that to tie yourself into a monthly subscription or an obligation, you can go to ko-fi.com forward slash Toby Haydock if you would like to support these endeavours in a different way by just giving the odd donation if you particularly like uh, an addition or you've had a good week or I sound particularly needy uh, or hungry or in need of a cyber coffee because it's at ko-fi.com forward slash Toby Haydock. It's a way of sort of tipping a creative that you enjoy in the form of a metaphor that is actually money but it seems nicer to ask for a metaphor than for money doesn't it seems slightly less grubby uh hooray for metaphors uh but look money is quite grubby and money is in short supply at the moment and i know that uh you know uh, nobody has spare cash to be flinging around for stuff that is actually free if you want it to be which is what podcasts are and how we're used to consuming our stuff these days and that is fair enough i am grateful to you for listening but if you like it oh it's a jungle out there and it's really hard work and uh, and, and people are always quick to give negative feedback and less keen to give positive feedback in these days of the internet so uh, if you have positive feedback please go to itunes spotify podbean and even cyberspace twitter facebook everywhere you can and say nice things about these podcasts because that helps to drive people towards them particularly on itunes if you give a five star rating and a few lines of review that really tickles the algorithms and makes 
the podcast more visible the more visible it is the more people listen the more people listen the more it justifies me being up at 12 minutes past one which is uh, the only time i can do uh, stuff in this house that has way too much traffic going through it at the moment wish somebody had shut me in the pages of a book uh and uh and justify doing this uh, uh and, and i mean i'm not uh not only staying up late and advisedly, but also shouting into the ether <laughs> where no one will listen. Uh, but there are listeners out there, and you're you're uh, valued, and I'm grateful to you. But um, if if there's one thing that you can do that only costs you a little bit of your time, it's just to help to improve, get the word out there, and also do word of mouth too. Tell your friends, but uh, but particularly your friends who you converse with in cyberspace. And if you can do it in the form of a positive review and a star rating as well, that is even better. Talking of cyberspace, I hang about there on Twitter at Toby Haydoke, H-A-D-O-K-E, uh, on uh, Twitter again in a different form at Haydoke Podcasts. That's for these particular podcasts and I don't use it uh, that that stream to advertise things like my comedy club, Excess Malarkey, which if you are interested in, it's at Excess Malarkey on Twitter. And it's every Tuesday in Manchester. And we have some fantastic acts on. And occasionally some people from that there Doctor Who. I mean, Suze Kempner off of Doomsday has played there in the past uh, 18 months or so. And we've also had visits from, oh, everyone from Tylos from Full Circle. He hasn't played there in a while. He's made to mind though, Bernard. Uh, to um, uh, uh, Banto, the DVD store owner from Blink. Uh, I'm sure some other. I'm sure. And 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 when he was on, his friend, um, uh, the Doctor who gets his brains sucked out by the Daleks in uh, in uh, Doomsday, uh, uh, Raji James. That they were both. They were both in the club at the same time. It was like a Doctor Who overload. In fact, in the audience, we've had all sorts of Doctor Who people. Tom Goodman Hill from the Unicorn in the Wasp. Um, yeah, lo lo loads of people. Uh, Colin Proctor from um, the Long Game and. Uh, victory of the Daleks. Uh, also, yeah, I mean, oh, Peter Kay, of course, has been on the stage at Excess Malarkey. Uh, so, yeah, it's 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 had a little bit of a Doctor. Oh, David Bradley was in the audience once, actually. Uh, the, you know, the the first Doctor himself. So uh, there's been yes, on and off stage, there's been lots of Doctor Whoy stuff. But you know, I, I hope if you're interested in the comedy club, it's more for the brilliant comedy that goes on there every week, not because there might occasionally be somebody from Doctor Who on the stage or in the audience. But I I, I started thinking about those, and so then went off on a tangent. But uh, my comedy club is Excess Malarkey. Uh, I'm on Cyberspace. I'm also trying to make a virtue of being on Instagram, where I'm at toby.haydoak, where I've learned to do reels. Uh, and I do reels about uh, covering what went on at the comedy club last time and what is happening next time. It's every Tuesday, remember, and the last Sunday of every month, too. I do a night called Testing Testing, where established acts try out new material. And I've got all sorts of famous people off the telly there, including Sarah Millican uh, and... Uh, uh, Colin Holt and Justin Morehouse and more famous people coming up. Um, so, yeah, that's on uh, on Instagram. I do these reels and uh, I'm getting quite good at them actually. I'm a I'm a, I'm a dab hand with a with a change of filter and uh, and an exciting cut, uh, and uh, I make them all brief because nobody will consume anything longer than a minute here. So. 
So f- f- 50 minutes and 10 seconds of this podcast have been surplus to requirements. But uh, yeah, I'm trying to trying to build up the Instagram thing by getting good at it. So uh, uh, go there and uh, uh, and and follow my Instagram at toby.haydoke. That would be marvellous because all the cool kids in the entertainment industry uh, have, uh, you know, thousands of uh, Instagram followers. And I don't. And I think me not being a cool kid uh, in the, the realms of uh, Instagram is an oversight uh, on the part of the cool ombuds, the ombuds people of cool. And I would like those ombuds people to pass me fit for coolness. So uh, go to Instagram too. Now then, I think there might have been a slight rumble throughout some of the recording of my track for this episode, and it's because I'd experimented with... Because basically I've got a slightly new setup, and my desk, my movable desk on wheels that normally tucks under the sofa uh, and enables me to record into the microphone, now doesn't tuck under the sofa anymore. So I'd laid it beside the sofa, and I was crooking my back and crooking my neck, and it wasn't quite working. So then I I put the uh, the microphone and its surrounding stuff on a sort of tray that went uh, that went on my knees, and that was much more comfortable. But I think every time I moved or rocked, you know, it, you, I, I think the mic uh, the mic might have picked it up. So that might that will be an experiment I will not repeat. This will always be the slightly rumbly episode of Happy Times and Places. So apologies if the quality, if you couldn't quite put your finger on what was wrong with it. I think there's a there's a slight permanent sort of rumble from the uh, the non-solid and slightly moving nature of the surface that the microphone was sitting on because that surface was actually on my knee and human beings don't keep still and every time I, I vaguely moved I think it sent a little bit of reverberation up the microphone so apologies for that but I you know I don't mind having the odd episode that's slightly different it's all part of the fun isn't it uh, and, and uh, you know uh, I'd, I'd, I'd love to be able to record these under 100% professional circumstances but I can't unless anybody anybody wants to, to make an actual proper program of uh, of a Doctor Who commentary podcast, in which case, you know, you can bring me to a studio and I can do it properly. As it is, it's a bit sort of thrown together, but isn't that part of its charm? He says, trying to turn uh, something that wasn't very good into something as, as a sort of as a sort of deliberate, uh, 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 you know. Uh, a sort of evocation of its uh, of its soul. It's a it's a, almost a bit like the the sets in the mind rubber. You know, uh, they weren't necessarily supposed to be like that, but the fact that they are are the key to what kind of works about it. That's been very much intellectualizing, um, slightly poorer technical quality than is usual. If you'd picked up on that, I might have got away with it if I hadn't flagged it up. Uh, sometimes you see. Counterintuitively, if you're in the land of the mind robber, saying things out loud and pointing them out isn't always the best thing to do. Sometimes it's just the best to ignore things and hope they go away. That's how I've lived most of my life. Um, anyway, uh, I'd better be careful before you start ignoring me and going away because I rub it on too much. So I will bring an end to that. Uh, 